0: good, eh? Praise God, man. It's always awkward when you first get up here because you all look at me (laughs) intently. Is that a real tattoo? Is that real hair? (laughs) Possibly. Jesus. How many? I just got a new one. You can look at it later. Thanks, bro. Let's just pray. Let's just hang out for a minute, huh? You know, I was just telling someone that prophecy lends itself greatly to proximity. I'm going to say it again: prophecy lends itself greatly to proximity. It's where you're at that can often form or create the word of the Lord, or simply uh, the place of delivery. You know, you see Moses had to be up on the mountain, or he had to be in the Elijah in the cleft of the rock, or Joshua on the edge of a river, or Paul in a prison cell. It was uh, proximity, lended itself greatly. To prophecy. Did you get that? It's on tape. So it's very uh, peculiar to me that we're in Jessup, in the South, and in Georgia to unfurl this word, to bring forth a challenge, a mandate for uh, the South and this nation. You can all get quiet on me, are you? Dude. Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Let's just pray for a minute. Is that cool? Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to sit on a chair or a step and we can pray. Because prayer is paramount. And we're just going to pray for the Lord to begin to stir hearts. He's already doing it, man. What a cadence tonight. What a prophetic cadence. What a, what a now moment. How we got people here from London, we got people here from Ohio. It's two ends of the spectrum, eh? Jesus. I Don't look too stoic. You're you're really looking stoic here. Everybody say something. You have to we we can't get, we're getting, we're getting we're landing too fast here. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Plus, I'm checking you out too. I'm asking the Lord to really have a prophetic precedence tonight. I didn't come uh, you know. Tell you the truth, I'd love love weekends to be home. I've traveled a lot, but uh, so I, I just know that we're here for a, a very good reason. And I'm asking the Lord to give uh, a quiver full of arrows of words for His people to challenge, to compel them, to provoke them to good works and love. If there's ever been a time in the world and in history for us to be moving forward, it must be now. It must be now. It has to be now, man. Lord is saying charge. And you know, there comes a time in every army you've prepared, you've done everything you can and then God says go charge. It's time to engage. It's time to mount an offensive. And there's no doubt that we have come to that moment. Not just one s- faction of the church, not just one segment of the church, not just the radical prophetic ones. It's for every body part needs to be in forward momentum the whole world is opening up to us places that have been gridlocked places that have resisted the gospel for centuries are suddenly toppled and opened overnight some of the hardest nations in the world to preach the gospel their regimes are dissolving their tyranny is disappearing Their tyrants are being removed by invisible hands for one reason, not to vote, to hear the gospel. Those nations that we're watching on the news that are facing a coup d'etat, are facing their greatest moment in their history, are nations that have resisted the gospel the most. And yet God loved their people. See, it's usually a faction, a small group that rules the country, not a democracy. So what you have is you have these regimes living high on the hog, living like kings, which they're not. They've seized that. They're like Saul in the Old Testament. They seized the opportunity, but they weren't king at all. And now God is coming in, and he is seizing those thrones, and he is opening up the doors for the gospel to be preached. Which you know what that means? He needs missionaries like never before. As the world opens up, as the windows of heaven begin to pour out a blessing on these nations where if you were to preach the gospel, if you were to take out that little sign that says need prayer, you'd get shot and killed, arrested at the least. Are now suddenly opened for the Lord's word to come. And how does the Lord's word come? It's found in Romans 10. How will they know without a preacher? How can they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news or preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, we've come to a historic precipice, we've come to a monumental moment in world history where God is needing us to respond more than ever. I think we've lived the last 30 years, we needed God to respond, and now God's saying, I need you to respond now, I've done my part, I've toppled tyrants, I've removed tyranny. I'm removing every obstacle, every fortified city, every wall, whether it's by earthquake or some other means. I am opening up every nation. Now, I need you. I need an army to muster itself again. And I tell you, I've got a word for the south. Because God's about to muster you again. You haven't had a battle of this magnitude since the Civil War. But my friend, you're about to fight that big of one again. But this time it won't be against your brother. It'll be against against the darkness of this world. That fiery spirit of the South who held true to whatever values it thought was right at the time. We figured out later it was probably wrong on some content. However, that same spirit, that same heart... To go to battle, to lay its life down, Uh, the largest war in history, all the wars of mankind that we have engaged in cannot add up to the souls and the lives that were lost in the Civil War. It depicted a bravery of a people. It depicted a warlike people. It depicted a courageous people. And my friend, the Lord's about to muster the South again. He is about to gallop through your cities, your churches, your villages, your metropolitan fortresses. He's about to go through CNN and and the most minor cord of the South, and he's about to muster an army. He is about to rile the troops again. He is about to look for his men and women again like never before in history. The South has only experienced one such mustering. Of that magnitude, it was the civil war. There's another civil war. It's light and darkness. Let me say it again. There's a much greater civil unrest and a disturbance in the world today. And it's a great, terrible disturbance between light and dark. But the Lord wants to translate them out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But he needs some Star Trekkies. He needs some people. To engage and to say, Beam me up. He needs some people out there like never before. I believe we're about to face one of the greatest commissioning that the world's ever seen. I believe Acts chapter 2, Matthew 28, and Mark 16, and all that other stuff pales in comparison of the great commission that's about to happen now. Everything I've dreamed of for 22 years as a Christian is about to come true. Everything I've written about. Everything I've fought and preached and, and unwavering is about to happen. We're about to see the church at her best. And my friend, the church has always been at her best in battle. Oh, I got to say that again. The church has always been at her best in battle. She wasn't at her best in the Roman cathedrals. Under Constantine, she was at her best in the catacombs under a Roman regime, fearing for her life, but knowing that God was with her. The church was never at her best in times of peace and safety or the illusion thereof. The church was at her best under the gale winds of opposition, of persecution that it could lay its life down for something greater than herself, And as the whole world is in birth pangs, friend, I believe the greatest mustering in American continent, I've been every state except Maine, every single, the greatest gathering of workers, missionaries, and laborers, I believe with all my heart is going to come from the South. I believe the spirit is here for it. I believe the historic premise is here for it. I believe it bleeds out of your veins to volunteer. I believe you have a servant's heart. I believe the spirit of hospitality like Hawaii has aloha. I believe it's not fake. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, cliche. I believe the Lord has put something in the southern states that has been here since the beginning of time. And the Cherokees and the Native Americans who welcomed travelers here from spain and god is about to appeal to that heart he's going to appeal to the the core of who the south is isn't it a trip that god would send someone from washington state to tell you this that i could identify these qualities in you as a foreigner i'm still not a southerner (laughs) i'm just not sorry i love you i appreciate some of the food uh, I hate the humidity, by the way. It's just terrible on your hair. But, anyways, you know, first thing I did when I first moved here cut, cut, cut. Then I lost all my strength. And so I had to grow, grow, grow. And now I feel really strong. <laughs> I feel strong again. And, you know, Samson did more in his last few hours than he did his whole life. So I am very encouraged. Don't ever count anyone out, man. Boy, are you kidding me? God loves the underdog. That's why he loves the South. Maybe that's why I had to send an underdog down here to tell you this. Someone that's faced the same criticism and persecution as you and misunderstanding. Who's faced the gauntlet. And lived to tell about it. It'll make you bitter or better. You've already went through your bitterness. I see, I see the South starting to come out of its, its, its threshold of bitterness. I see it happening. I've seen it. I've been to Ground Zero in the South. I've been to 16th Street Baptist Church where the bombs went off. and Martin Luther King marched. I've been to Stone Mountain where the KKK enacted their rights. I've been to Philadelphia, Mississippi where Mississippi burning took place. And those three young men, one African-American, two Jews from Brooklyn, got killed. You know, they just finally apprehended someone and arrested him after 50, 60 years, a Baptist preacher. The, the the governor of Alabama at that time said, uh, excuse me, Mississippi, said there was no crime committed. Uh, just ignore the three bodies in the levee, but there was no crime committed. I'll never forget standing in that field with the Choctaw behind me. And 300 of all colors, cadence, and creed of the South. All the South in one melting pot. Downtown Meridian, Philadelphia, Mississippi. And I saw a woman begin to walk from the back. From the field. And walk up. She was James Cheney's daughter, one of the three men that were murdered and killed, later depicted in the movie. She walked up and said, can I say a few words? I said, oh, Lord. But I could see her countenance just glowing with God. And I handed her the microphone, and she said, I should hate you, but I love you. And I forgive you. My God. The night before, we went to James Cheney's grave behind some little Baptist church out in the woods. Just stood at that grave and said, Lord, we've not forgotten. We've not forgotten your soldiers on the front lines of revival. That's what Martin Luther King had in the streets. What's revival? Man, you go back in the Bible when Paul walked the streets, it was the same riot. Everywhere Paul went and preached, man, they were either wanted to tear him in half or lower him outside of the city with a basket. He wasn't liked. He wasn't a conference speaker. Are you kidding me? He couldn't come up to the surface that long because it was dead. Back in that day, to announce that you were in town would have been suicide. Paul the apostle is in Jerusalem today. Oh, boy. And where is he? <laughs> We'll call every Pharisee and Sadducee from 100 miles, and we're going to take that man out because he's too dangerous. Oh, man, can you feel this? Maybe, is it just me? I'm undone at what I'm seeing. I'm not just coming in from a Georgia football game. I'm coming from across this country telling you, it's your time. I stood in the shores of Hawaii gazing out towards Japan just a few weeks ago praying, prophesying that God would shake the Pacific Rim. Oops. Uh, Sir, I didn't mean that to that extent. It's unbelievable what's taking place. And I believe there's a Sound that's about to be issued. We heard it tonight. Awakening the the watchman. My God. God, Isn't it a trip? We're all trying to get to heaven. He's trying to get to earth. (laughs) Who got mixed up? Who's got the wrong bag here? We're all standing on the heavenly depot waiting for rapture. Wow, man. Dang, he's late again. Can you imagine Jesus coming back to earth and we're all gone? Where the they... We were going to rule and reign and, you know, dude. Jesus wants this planet. He wants it bad. He wants every street. He wants every ghetto. He wants every pimp. He wants every businessman. He wants every politician. He wants every one of them. And I I have this feeling that he's going to do it. He's waking the church up out of the hot tub. In the honeymoon suite. That was only for a weekend, not the rest of your life, okay? You know? You know where to find the church? He's in the honeymoon suite, waiting for Jesus. I gotta say that again. That's that sounds so incredible. You can use that for your next book. The church is in the honeymoon suite in the hot tub, soaking. Looks worse than a prune. Got the telegraphs he's been holding since 1870 from Ellen G. White that says that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Man, this is good, Keith. When Jesus is out in the broad places in the city streets, like in Song of Solomon 3, waiting for us, waiting for us, lovers, to come out and meet him. He's Boaz out in the threshing floor, waiting for us at midnight. Where's Ruth? Where's my bride? Where's the one that will love me so much she'll wake up, wait up all night for me? In the field, like the shepherds in Mark chapter two, in the field by night. Guess what? That picture is going to become a reality. What Keith prayed tonight is going to become a reality. God's about to muster the South. I'll never forget. That's the first image I had years ago. What's 15 years ago I first came to the South? 13. I don't remember. I remember seeing the gates. That's all I remember. The clear as a bell. I saw the ancient gates of the South being shaken. The Lord was going to take the South again. I said, oh, God, you're at the gates now. You're at the gates. That was 12, 13 years ago. You know where he's at now? He's past the gates. He's in your city. He's come in like a Trojan horse. Hear this word. Jesus has snuck in the church. <laughs> We've been saying all these wild things like revival and I'll die for you and I'll go for you. And where you go, I'll go. Where you... Dude, <laughs> are you serious? Someone said a great word. He'll only send you where he gives you grace to go. Well, that means you're going to the lion's den. You're going to the fiery furnace. You're going to the firing squad. You might go to prison and sing music at midnight. The prison quartet from Jessup, Georgia. Man, they're good. They got a lot to be thankful for. But the place where they prayed was shaken. And they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, Jesus. My God. Oh, boy. Come on, I've just been praying. Are you, you still in agreement with me? Yeah. Warriors, man. That's who God's looking for right now. He's looking for the warriors. But see, the South has lost the warrior spirit. See, trauma takes away the warrior spirit. Trauma, great trauma, suffering, and loss. Listen carefully. Great trauma, suffering, and loss will quench the warrior spirit and the will to fight. And this last decade, I've dealt with that very intimately with my Native American brothers. We got a Native American drum team that travels with us anywhere west of the Mississippi. We've got Native American friends. We we've just we've just embraced them. And and I was born on the reservation, and. Uh, you know, not enough to really claim, but that's where I was raised. And I've, I felt that suffering. You know, I felt it when Chief Joseph said, I will fight no more forever. And boy, did he ever mean it. And boy, did that prophecy resonate through this heart of the native people. And they're just beginning to fight again. And as I contemplated that and the word that the Lord gave to me, as I'm already sharing with you the last 10 minutes, the South lost that warrior spirit, too. You're just like my native brothers. I look at you differently now. When I look at my Choctaw friends, when I look at my Miwok friends, when I look at my Miami friends from Indiana, when I look at my Yakima, my Pielup, and my Tulalip, and my Apache, when I look at their faces, it doesn't matter how born again they are, I still see the pain. I can't get around it. I think God's left that pain in there that we can never get around it either. We can never bypass them again. We can never negate their value again. We can never get around them again. At least not as Americans. America's not John Wayne, America's sitting bull. We just got watched the wrong movie. John Wayne's English, dude, <laughs> you know, with the cute accent. <laughs> but when I look in the southern faces, I see the same pain, man. That's what I see on your streets. That's what I see in your highways and byways. That's what I see in those black boys, man. That's what I see in those white boys. It's pain. And then it disguises itself with all the hoopla. No wonder the South is the most religious epoch of America because it has the most hurt. The only thing to to dress up pain is religion. It's the it's the greatest disguise. If I wear long robes and and phylacteries and and say loud prayers, maybe you won't notice my pain. Well, guess what? Being a prophetic man, I see your pain. I see it in your Southern Baptist, your Methodist, your Presbyterian. Every single one of those, I've got to speak in those churches. I see it. But guess what? Is there any balm in Gilead? Is there any bomb in Gilead? Oh, God, is there ever. But What the Lord's doing right now, I see a vision just now. I see the Lord crossing the street. And he's sending people to the south now. They're crossing over to the one left for dead in the side of the road. And they're beginning to pour in the oil and the wine. The Lord's healing the wound. He's he's now beginning to heal the issue of blood that's been in the South. And what the North has not comprehended, at least not on a large scale, is that when the South suffers, she suffers too. When one body part suffers, you all suffer. When one weeps, you all weep. When one rejoices, you all rejoice. What the North has failed to comprehend for the last 200 years is that when the South hurts, the north hurts really pre-civil war the south was the most abundant most affluent most powerful it was the breadbasket of the world it was bethlehem it was the house of bread those things still linger but guess what god's about to bring them back to their fullness oh man are you just pretending to be Pentecostal? Because you're still sitting there. I'll tell you, Southern Baptists are more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals. I was saying this in the Southern Baptist Church somewhere in Meggs, Georgia. Dude, they be running the aisles right now. I'll never forget in the Hoskey, North Carolina years ago, man. I went there for a weekend. That's where I began to see the pain. And some black folks came in. I was there for a weekend, stayed nine months, and black folks came in. This is how it all started. It didn't start with prophecy, good preaching, popular speakers. Some black folks came in, a predominantly white church, and sat down. Someone had the wild idea to wash their feet. They began to wash these pastors' feet. And all of a sudden, for the next 15 minutes, our ears grew accustomed to wailing and the loudest weeping and mourning that I've ever heard in my life. All the pain came out of these senior pastors just weeping, weeping. Dude. From there, we walked down the street to a place called No Man's Land. Had a plaque. I'm still trying to figure out why there was a plaque. Is where a black boy had got a drink of water and got hung. About 75 of us walked down there that night, and we had communion. Then we dumped it in the no man's land. Boy, and God began to heal the wounds. And as this process of healing takes its course, I believe by the end of this year, all you're going to see is a scar. Let me say that again. I believe by the end of 2011, as 2012 begins to raise its face towards us, all you're going to see is the scar. God ain't going to ever take the scars away. He wants to remember. He wants you to remember. See, a lot of folks think we just clean up so much that, that we're just, you know, unrecognizable. Well, dude, if you get close enough to me, you're going to see my scars. You're going to realize that I'm a frail human being that God plucked up out of the muck and mire of humankind. If you have a problem with me now, you should have seen me 20 years ago, man. I would have hitched a ride and I just escaped from the prison. And I would have been really nice about it. My God. But I'm telling you, by the end of this year, all you're gonna see is the scars. God's about to move upon the South. I've been seeing this from California through. Louisville, Kentucky, through Louisiana to Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, all through the Carolinas. There is something stirring right now, and God is about to pour in the balm of Gilead. He's about to heal the wounds. It's Native American. It's African American. It's white American. It's every form of American. God's about to heal the South. You know why? He needs an army. He needs an army. That was, come on, you felt it kind of. He needs an army. And he is going to bring courage again and strength. You're like Joshua at the water. He says, be strong and courageous. For I'm going to give you the land I promised your forefathers. In three days, I'm going to do wonders amongst you. I'm going to do things you can't ever imagine. Jesus. You know, it's a trip, man. Someone showed me where the Trail of Tears was. And there's this thing called the Black Belt. The Black Belt's a little little territory that weaves itself like a big snake through the south all the way to eastern Texas. And it's the worst education, the worst darkness, the worst economy, the worst of the worst of the worst. And you know, if you superimpose the Trail of Tears, you could superimpose the Black Belt wherever that pain and injustice happened is the land is suffering. The land is mourning. It's been subjected, unwillingly, waiting for the manifestation of God's army. It's not going to happen with a few isolated reconciliations, a few isolated prophetic intercessions, a few isolated prophetic prayers, as good intentions they are. It needs a whole body to comprehend the time that it's in and begin to raise up and... Apprehend it. Tag, you're it. Boy, howdy. God, Jesus. Unbelievable. And I knew coming here, I just knew. I said, Lord, here I go. Just send me to L.A., man. I was in Hollywood last weekend. Now I'm in Jessup, no pun intended but it's a trip. (laughs) It's it's a little different. A little humbling. We need that. We're in a stuntman's house named Philip Tan. (laughs) Johnny Depp's double lives next door. And Philip Tan led 23 people the Lord on the set of the Pirates of the Caribbean. And a few months ago in January we were there i got to tell you this story. I think it will raise your faith up for what I want to share in a few seconds. Just a few rapid fire scriptures to muster the warriors. In January, we were in Philip Tan's house. The night before, we were in uh, somebody's house. He was a writer. He's Randy, Randy. He's a writer, one of the seven writers of Avatar, Titanic, Terminator, all the Cameron movies, good friend of Cameron. Real humble guy, real sweet guy. You'd never know it. I met him when he was doing a behind a little camcorder during one of our conferences that I was at, the Anaheim Vineyard. There he was, little little Randy. Great, phenomenal writer. Tyler Perry writes for Tyler, all this stuff. We're in his house. And this is in January, mind you. And suddenly the Lord begins to bring a word for Charlie Sheen. And I just begin to prophesy for Charlie. Now, I know, remember? Prophecy lends itself greatly to Proximity. If you get near Hollywood, you may find yourself prophesying to Charlie Sheen. If you get yourself in Georgia, you may be praying for uh, the Gators. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, I was in an <laughs> uh, African-American black church in L.A. You know what I told them to do? I said, you've got to pray for the Celtics. Boy, I'll tell you. Anyways, that probably didn't mean anything to you, but it did to them. And so, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> yes. So we began to prophesy for Charlie Sheen. Then we began to prophesy for Michael Douglas to be cured of cancer. Well, I heard he was. Praise the Lord. I'm sure many people prayed for him. But we began to pray for Charlie from this writer's abode. And we said, Charlie, you you will no longer be two and a half men. You'll be whole. You'll be complete. We began to pray for Charlie. So the next day I'm in Philip Tan's house, little, little Philip. And he has world champion Korean kickboxers in this. I mean, just, just crazy group. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, one of Gene Roddenberry's writers for Star Trek, just just, oh, just this plethora of people. You just thank God you don't know who they are. And this was in January. And I said, Philip, man, I gotta tell you something, man. I don't know if you know Charlie, but last night, for some reason, we were just prophesying for Charlie. He looks at me, he grabs his phone and shows me a text message. He had invited Charlie that night to his house in January. He showed me this long text message. Charlie, I love you. God loves you. The devil hates you, wants to kill you, wants to kill your children. Call me, friend. Let's go out to lunch. I just want to talk to you about Jesus. Then Philip Tam begins to tell me about Charlie's salvation. About nine, ten years ago, he was on a set with Charlie, and he was doing fight choreography. And he tried to preach to Charlie, and Charlie said, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about God. See, a lot of you are about to face people like Charlie. The South, this army God's mustering, you're about to face your opposition. I'm going to say it again. That's why it's very critical that guys like me can come through here and muster the courage, do a little training, take you out to the streets, because, man, you've got to get this stuff because you're about to confront your opposition. You're about, That's right. You're about to stare down the long nose of a lion. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> and God is about to close the mouth of the lion. God's about to slay the giants of the South, man. You're going to face your Charlie Sheens, and you got to know what to do. You know, all the other things don't work then, you know. Hey, man, did you know, uh, so, you know, before we go through any suffering, God's going to come get us. Hey, did you pay your tithes? Hey, what church do you go to? Those are the three deadly sins of witnessing. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> the first thing you got to learn never ask what church they go to. Come on, they probably don't. For good reason. By the way, where they go to church does not get them saved. What they need to know is Jesus. So he looks at Charlie and he says, uh, Well, Charlie, I, you know, the reason I'm doing all this. Stunts for you and stuff is your knee. You can't move that much. If I pray to Jesus to heal your knee, Charlie, will you accept the Lord? Charlie, with his chagrin, says, sure. hi <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> hit it back in place. No, he got down, and he prayed for Charlie's knee. Well, you know the rest of the story, don't you? Charlie got healed. Charlie got saved. Emilio Estevez got saved. uh, Martin Sheen got saved. The whole family got saved. And the next year, revival broke out in Charlie Sheen's house. And people, I can't even tell you their names, got saved left and right. The mistake that Charlie made was making his Christianity public. Who's ever faced that barrel and got shot before? (laughs) He made his public thing. It's okay to be public with your Christianity. Just, you know, uh, don't tell the Russian regime. You you know, you might want to avoid that. So Charlie makes his speech on some TV program. All hell begins to break loose. You see Charlie Sheen today. I got news for you. God's not through with him. God's just beginning with him. He's a brother in the Lord. And the Lord's about to snatch him out. But see, he's like Lazarus. A lot of your friends are like Lazarus. They stink. (laughs) Let me see if a few of you in here. No. (laughs) So, you know, Lazarus was four days dead. And they said, Jesus, you knew he was sick. You knew he was going to be on the entertainment tonight. You knew he was going to be on Larry King. You know, what's the deal? He said, greater glory. The Lord will always allow your suffering to expire. Let me say that again. Oh, it's going to mean something to somebody. The Lord will always allow your suffering to expire. That He can bring greater glory. Now, if you need scriptural premise for that, open up your Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the latter chapters. And you will see a man's suffering taken all the way to the end. And when he faced the road bump of his own flesh and his own humanity, and he cried out, Lord, spare me, take this cup from me, he accepted it. And he went all the way, baby. And see, that's the doctrine I want. Jesus wants a church that will go all the way and let suffering have its perfect work. And that's where we're at right now. It is. God's letting us go all the way to the end. And I'm telling you, when you stand at that threshold, when you can suffer no more, that, my friend, is the glory of God. Oh, man. Let me move over to this side. I'll even grab a seat. The glory of God is not a hypnotic verbiage that puts you to sleep and lays you on your back and calls you a laid down lover. The glory of God is when you've come to the razor's edge of yourself and you can do nothing but look up. I just explained Japan. <laughs> They're about to look up. Old saying in prison. Let me to tell you one of my prison stories? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but one of the few times I was there, they had an old saying, the old timers. They said, when you're on your back, all you can do is look up. See, when you're standing on your own two feet, you can look every direction. You have options. When you're on your back, all you can look up is God. And guess what Japan's doing or is about to do? Look up. And guess who's going to be there? Jesus and you. The Ethiopian eunuch looked up from his reading. Who did he see? Keith Smith. The great Ethiopian eunuch, the right hand man of the queen, looked up from his daily devotion, not even saved. What a trip. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah, doesn't even know what he's reading. He looks up, doesn't see God, he sees you. Well, he kind of did see God in you. And Philip said, Do you understand what you're reading? No. How can I, unless someone shows me? How can Japan? No. unless someone shows them i just want to pray over this whole section i believe there's missionaries right here to japan right in this section i believe ministries are about to be steered i believe there's an abrupt about face in ministries many ministries are about to have a abrupt face did i say it right they're about to be turned 360 degrees and sent in a different direction they're like paul that was determined to go to asia and suddenly god said no go to macedonia There's a need. Every ministry should have all hinges. Every itinerary should have a 30-day expiration date. Let me say it again. In 30 days, God can say, cancel, done, go. But Lord, we like it here. Well, I don't, so I'm I'm a really worthy candidate. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm just joking. Not really. No, I'm just kidding. Praise the Lord. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Just playing. <laughs> hey, just get a. Let's just pray for a Starbucks and Jessup. I may move here. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> he almost did. What the heck? I started fasting for Pharaoh. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> let's. Maybe we should pray now. Yeah. For the Celtics? No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Father, take the suffering all the way to the end. All the way to the end. The South has been suffering, Father. This country's been suffering. The world's suffering. Take it right down to the rays. Take it right to the Niagara Falls and let us jump off now, Lord. Let us jump off. Let's take the plunge now. Father, I thank you for people that are about to be turned their, their ministries are about to turn. Their hearts are about to turn to other nations, turn to their own cities. I know we have that thought, well, I've got to save my own city for sure. There, there'll be plenty to do that as well. Don't worry. God's out under control. But many people are going to be sent out. I'm telling you, many people are going to be sent out right from this very church. I've probably said this every time I've been here. This church is an international church, without a doubt. But it's not going to be a prophetic precedent. It's going to be a now word now. The Lord is going to catapult people from here. Into the uttermost parts of the earth, I see Haiti. Lord says you got to start really praying about Haiti. I'm not through with Haiti. There's still millions and tens in Haiti. If Haiti ever needs you, it's now. Uh, We just pray right now for Haiti, Father. Uh, We pray for Indonesia. They're far from through with their 250,000 people that died a few years ago, Father. Now there's a harvest. I think all those seeds that fell to the ground are now ready to be to be to be uh, reaped, a crop. I hear the Lord saying there's a bumper crop coming. There's a bumper crop coming in all of our lives. I hear the Lord saying that. Just look everywhere around you. Just do what the, Jesus said. Lift up your eyes and look. Everywhere around you, you're about to see a bumper crop this year. It's, I believe it's already started. I believe you're going to begin to see it all around you. There's a bumper crop. You waited for the ladder and form around rain. You've been the farmer, you've had the patience. You've you've had the prophetic patience. Now look all around you. A bumper crop's about to take place, about to take place. I believe also in the natural, the drought and all the things that the ill things that the South has suffered for uh, for good reason are coming to an end now. I believe this will be the year of of a high water mark. I believe this will be a year of, of breakthrough in irrigation. I believe the Lord's going to irrigate the uh, not only the church, going to irrigate the very ground and the land. God's going to do something wonderful, and uh, uh, all the snow has been falling in the south—that unusual amount of snow—Lord says that's a sign of forgiveness. It's a sign of purity. It's a sign of uh, a removal of your sin and a banishment of the things that have been written against you. The 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 things that have been. Uh, the 95 Theses, so to speak, that's been upon your own doorpost. The Lord's removing these things from you. He's removing them things from you so that you can uh, be whole again and that you can be complete again and that you can begin to move forward. I'm telling you, this is the year of moving forward. This ain't just some uh, you know, random word or uh, this is the year for this and this is the year for that. The Lord is mustering His army now. And, and you will truly be the volunteer states. You will truly be the, the greatest population of doers will come from the south. The same spirit that seized the heart of young men 150 years ago uh, will seize you again, but for the kingdom of God, for the Lord. You'll be like David who faces his giant and says, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to fight? Father, I pray that even tonight, young people would begin to hear the call of God. Lord, I pray for young men and women right here in this room, God, that feel the cadence, that feel the quickening, that feel the urgency like Gideon did, to muster himself, to muster his few renegade mavericks in the middle of the night and tear down some idols and begin to get ready for battle. I pray for some young people tonight, God, that would rally today to the call of God. Father, I thank you for stirring the hearts of the South. My God, my God, my God, my God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just want you to just continue to pray with me for a moment as you feel God stir in your heart. Uh, I don't want you to do it right in the next 10 seconds, but as you feel God stir in your heart, I want you to stand up. As you feel a bona fide in your gut, something stirring. It could be uncomfortable. It might not be a sweet lullaby and, you know, goosebumps. It could be something that just hurts right there. That just, God, I can feel these words he's saying. I just want you to stand up because the Lord's going to count you as one that He can send. He's going to count you as one He can turn and He can send in a different direction to do His bidding and do His work. So, Father, right now we pray. We pray for a mustering. And we know that this church stands in proxy for a whole multitude of people in the South, God. That, Father, Georgia is is by far a headwater state. Georgia uh, by far is a is a state that's in the headwaters of the South. If there's any other state, Father, that I could find that's at the headwaters of politics, of media, of entertainment, of all these things in the South, it must be Georgia, Father. If there's been tragedy and triumph, it must be Georgia. So, Father, I pray tonight, God, that you would uh, begin with waves and billows, Father, and begin to muster up people again, Father. Begin to muster them uh, from their farms and their villages and from their schools and their, their little... Uh, uh, One-horse towns, Father. I pray that you begin to muster them again, Father. I pray, God, a clarion call. I pray for a prophetic sound in the south again. Father, to begin to quicken. Lord, even those that have been dormant and dry and dead. Those that have signed off on Christianity. Those that have walked away from their first love. I pray, God, that you'd begin to stir again the hearts, Father, of your children. I thank you, Father, the south. You've saved the best for last. and The ones that have always fallen. The lot has fallen always last for the south. Now, God, you'll begin to uh, make them pre- preemptive and and preeminent, God, because of the harvest. And from the port of Savannah would come a call of revival again, Lord. Not a Moravian call, but a a a Georgian call, a call of revival again, Father. That would penetrate London. That would penetrate Britain. That would that would cascade into England. That would go into Norway and and into Sweden. And uh, once again. Uh, uh, an avalanche from the south, Lord. Father John Wesley didn't come here for us. Uh, he came here, really, he didn't come here. He he came here to get something from Georgia, see? The Lord says, uh, John Wesley came here to get something from you. And then he went back to Britain with the revival and reformation. And I'm telling you, isn't that a paradox? It didn't come from England. Reformation came from Savannah, Georgia. He came here a dry old preacher staring at a blank piece of paper. And he visited Savannah and he expired his tenor here and he went back disappointed and disillusioned and then God ignited him. He got an impartation from the coast of Georgia. And I believe that same impartation of reformation and revival and transformation still resides in the roots of this state and the roots of this country and the roots of these southern states. And I pray, Lord, tonight you would redig the well. Uncap that well, Father. Take out those Philistine stones. Of debate and argument and denomination. And every other form, Father. Of rivalry and, and slander. And every other thing that would divide us, Father. And you would reunite us again, Father. And you would bring us together again. For the last great battle. For the last great moment, Father. That we would see the world save, Jesus. And I believe it begins with the state. I believe this is the linchpin. I believe this is the linchpin. That Georgia and all the states adjacent to it are about to be ignited. And there's going to be a sound that comes from them a sound that's uncompromising, unwavering. And they're going to begin to cry out to God in a way that's never been heard before, at least in 50 generations a cry. I hear the Lord saying, I'm removing the kettle. I'm removing the, I'm removing the basket. I'm removing all the things that has hid that cry. And has stifled that cry. And has muffled that cry. And I'm going to begin to speak through you. I'm going to amplify. You won't just be known for mega churches and giant stadiums. You'll be known again for the heartbeat. You'll be known again for the fabric of the South. You'll be known again for the morale. You'll be known again for the courage. You'll be known again for the capacity of God's heart. You won't be known for your football games and your stadiums and all the other things you cling to for some sense of identity. But you'll be known again for your heartbeat after God. And God will undress you. He'll take away all the tapestries, all the trappings that you've dressed yourself with to hide the insecurity. Oh, Jesus. And all that will be left before Him is naked before His sight that He can clothe us with white garments. He can give us eyesalve that we can see. He can give us words in our mouth that we can speak. Let it begin, Father. I come here to prophesy, Lord. I don't come here, Father, to perform. I don't come here for an itinerary or a paycheck. God forbid. Lord, I come here as a spokesman. I come here as a messenger. I come as one that you've sent from far away. I come as one that you've sent from the farthest northern borders of this nation. To its farthest corner. From one corner to another corner. From the Puget Sound all the way to Savannah and Jessup. And Atlanta and all the other places of this state. And today, Father, we prophesy for a door of utterance to be opened. A great door of utterance to be opened in this state. Though it come with many adversaries, it would behoove us, Father, to rise up. Songs in the night Father I hear the Lord saying songs in the night Let there be a midnight worship service That prays for these places of tragedy And will it not be for your good service Would it not be for your good if you would do these things Be the banner Be the banner again for the nations Be God's cotton field again That clothes the world That hides their nakedness and their shame Be God's cotton field again Let him be the weaver, and you'll be the thread. Be as Rahab lifts up the banner over your cities, over your states, over your nation. Oh, God. Come on, just pray with me. Come on, pray with me. Leave behind all formality. Leave behind all regularity. Just just pray with me right now. Pray with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. Cry with me. Weep with me. Laugh with me. Whatever you feel. Just pray with me right now. You may find yourself prophesying. Lo and behold. You might find yourself a prophet of the nations. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take manuals, books, and tapes. It takes the DNA of Jesus. It takes the gale wind of God blowing through you. I see many prophets in this building that have laid down their swords. I see many prophets in this building that have retreated, that have taken a back seat, and I hear the Lord saying to you today, "Rise up once more. I have need of you. I have need of you, Nathaniel. I have need of you, Elijah. You're not alone. You're about to see God's seven thousand in the south that have been hidden." generations, I hear the Lord saying 7,000 churches will raise up in the south. 7,000 churches distributed by God's will, salted throughout the south. That will begin to rise up of all color, creed, and cadence. And will begin to stir the very core of this place. 7,000 churches God has set aside for a last day's march. And they are stirring themselves up now. Scales coming off their eyes. I don't need a microphone to do this, but come on, agree with me. Just agree with me. You're it. You're, you're the South. This is your soil. These are your cities. These are your ghettos. These are your lost grandkids strung out on cocaine. These are your kids on Oxycontin and methamphetamine. This is your harvest. This is your battle. God needs you to stir yourself and take identity. Take responsibility. What you've seen years ago is about to come to pass. That vision that you saw of your city being saved. That moment in time is upon you now. It's breathing down the nape of your neck. It's dogging every step. That's why you feel unsettled. That's why you feel undone. Because the vision's about to come to pass. Come on, be unrelenting. A crusader spirit. A spirit of the warrior. A crusader. That goes into battle against enemy forces. That will not yield. Will not yield for darkness. There's been a bunch of yield signs. Every time we pull out of the church, yield for something. You will yield no longer. You will yield no longer. You will yield no longer. You will not stop for darkness to pass by. You begin to occupy like never before. I see a keg of oil in this church, a keg of oil. An, a supply. The Lord says, as you feed the poor, you will never run dry in this church. You will never fail. The bread will never fail. You continue to pour out the oil. You continue to feed the poor. You continue to do all you can. And during the times of famine, during the times of drought, this place will be sustained. Let those that travail, travail, Lord. Let those that have birth pangs push. Father, let them give birth, Lord Jesus. Those projects are God's project. They're like His little ant farm. He's got a purpose for those projects and those government housing. They're in the crosshairs of grace. And God's about to raise up those dry bones of the southern states. From the Appalachian Mountains down to Key West. God's about to blow, man. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's kindled a fire. It's burning now. Not a funeral pyre, but a fire lighting up the darkness. The Mason Dixie line to the Gulf of Mississippi. Could we agree on that? If we've ever agreed, could we agree on that? Come on, don't hold it back now. If you've got a shout in you, The Bible says there was an appointed time to shout. I'm telling you, there's a holy shout that can come through you, my friend, that is not of this world. How could a shout bring down a wall? It is impossible. But nonetheless, it did. There's going to come a time, friend, where you'll be out of control. All of your control, all of your sense of equilibrium that you've got it together. Dude, you don't got nothing together. You are one big ball of yarn that God's about to unravel. And he's going to make something great. I pray for these missionaries that stood up. Man, you could you, you could you know what, man? There's some people that have lost the fighting spirit. I'm not picking on you. My eyes are closed. I'm just telling you, some of you have not gotten up because that fighting spirit, it's like, why should I even try again? Here's my question. Why not? You're like the lepers at the gate of the city who hears the word of the Lord. You've got no other choice. You go back, you're dead. You sit there, you're a dead man. Get up and face the opposition. Walk into the enemy's camp and see what you find. I'm confident of one thing. The Lord goes before you. The Lord's behind you. I got one thing that I know is true. That He is greater inside of you. Not outside of you. Inside of you. Jesus. I pray for ministries to spring up, Father. I pray for mighty ministries to spring up. Right now from this place. I pray for great evangelists to spring up from this place. Just keep praying with me. Great evangelist to spring up from this place. I've got to walk with some warriors lately. Phil Aguilar, Arthur Blessed, Matthew Barnett, Dream Centers, and all kinds of wild people. I pray for the spirit of the mighty evangelist to fall on these people. The great prophet evangelist. The great apostolic evangelist, Father. I pray, God, that you would dawn upon them. That, Lord, you would dress them up today with that blazing garment that came out of the wilderness that Isaiah saw. Who is that dressed in red? Who is that with those garments like blood? I pray, Father, tonight that you would dress them for battle, Father. We know that this is just a microcosm of a greater people. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come up here, bro. Let me pray for you. Keep praying, guys. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Let the warrior rise up now. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Ah, the inevitable, brother. The inevitable is about to happen. The inevitable. Oh, yes, Jesus. Your prison's about to be shaken. The doors are about to open. See, Paul and Silas weren't disobedient. A lot of people are in a prison in this life. It's not because of their disobedience. It's because of their obedience. The prisons that many have found themselves in is not because of their disobedience or their lack of. It's just the opposite, man. But the enemy wants to pound you with that guilt and say, No, it's the work of your own hands. Let's put you here. But the reality is is you're there because of your obedience. The things that you've suffered is because of your obedience. But the inevitable is this, brother. Your prison's about to be shaken. Your midnight hour is fast approaching. The galloping horse, beat, horse hooves of your midnight hour is upon you. And the Lord's about to shake your prison and save your prison master. He is going to encompass all and in all. He's not just going to open up your door. He's going to open up... All the doors. He ain't just going to save those incarcerated with you. He's going to save those that incarcerated you. He's going to save your Pharaoh. He's going to save your baker, your wine bibber. He's going to save them all. You have went through what you went through that they could be saved. that you have found yourself the last seven years has been for one reason eight years ago you obeyed God that's why you found yourself in the predicament that you are in eight years ago almost to the month almost to the day you listened to God and you followed Him you left things behind and you followed hard after Him and you said Lord then why am I in a wilderness it's because you listened to God and you left Egypt that's why But I tell you this day, I smell the reeds and the rivers of a promised land. I can smell the grass across the river, brother. God's about to give you all that he promised you. The good work he began. He's not only able, but he is finishing now. This is the year of completion. This is the year where it's all wrapped up, man. This is the year of breaking out. This is Isaiah chapter 54 for you. The barren field now becomes more fertile than those that were not. Strengthen your peg stakes. Stretch out your borders. For you will break out. To your left and to your right, says the Lord. And I see Isaiah 54 married with Isaiah 58. A chosen fast is upon you. Not a fast of bread or water or food, but of dealing yourself to the poor. The stranger being brought into the Father's house. I hear the Lord saying the great work of the evangelist is upon you. Your songs and your voice, whether it's in prayer or reading or singing, it doesn't matter. You're not locked into one mode no more. But your voice will be heard in the prisons of this world, my friend, in every sort and every matter and every form. My God. They're going to call you the shaker man, the Quaker man. everywhere you go is shaken. You remember that word, brother. You're not in the position you are for your disobedience. It's because of your obedience that you've been in the prison that you're in. But the Lord says it's your midnight hour, the midnight train, brother. Some people live for the morning train, bro. You have a midnight train coming. You're a midnight train, brother. And he's going to visit you. He's going to come to you in the night seasons. You're a man of the night. I'm telling you, I don't know how, what your hours are now, but just get ready to be awakened. <laughs> David was a man of the night hour. Jesus was too. It's proven in the Bible. Matthew, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Read it later, but he was a man of the night. He loved the night. He loved the dark because he was made to conquer it. He did his greatest work in the night. You will do yours in the night. I hear the Lord saying there's a Chinese connection. There's a China connection. I hear that word. It's a common word, a movie, but I see a word, the China connection. There's a connection between you and China. And those things will come to fruition and maturation in the years of your life. There's no doubt in my mind that someday you'll see that soil. Well, by, by any of your own effort, but by the work of the Lord. Amen. My God, you were created for such a day as this. Oh, rasarabokuri and that's right, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the call of the Lord that's without repentance. We met for this moment, brother. We met for this moment right here. This moment. God's Viking. God's warrior. Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right Who are. Who are? Hoo-ah. I found me a pair of sandals. See, in Hawaii, everyone's got to take their flip-flops off. And whoever comes out first from the house gets first dibs. If you're, last, if you're last from the prayer meeting, you're barefoot. It's a trip. Just the opposite from Alaska, eh? I wouldn't wear these if you... No, I would wear them. I would wear them. Let me share something with you. You all right? I just feel good. Dude, you know, what I came here to share, I'll share it just in brief. Uh, We got it tomorrow as well. But the Lord began to, you know, I never really come anywhere with any preconceived ideas. You know, it's just really spontaneous and good to see you. I got to give a high five to somebody. But, you know, I believe this that this transition that we're in, we're not going to cease to be lovers, but we've got to be warriors too. And what has really dominated the landscape of Christianity the last 20 years, maybe decade or longer, you know, maybe even more, has been love. The lovers. That's fantastic. I mean, I was born loving Jesus. How about you? And I've never deviated from that. But there's a warlike spirit from the Lord that He's about to uh familiarize us with again. Let me read something first. I I'm supposed to read this. is from uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt in A- April 23, 1910. Can I just read this to you? It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. I'm telling you, that epitomizes the warrior. He will will continue to fight the fight until there's nothing left. If he wins, he wins. It doesn't matter. See, winning is really not the outcome of the warrior's heart. It really isn't. Because if winning was the the only outcome, he'd never fight. Because you often don't win. The true warrior fights because of something he believes in. Mm. And the Lord is about to shift. I believe we're in a shift. You know, the whole world, time has changed since Japan. Time has changed. The axis of the world. You know, in the last decade, our axis has changed more than the last hundred, 3, maybe even longer. Indonesia. All of the earthquakes have, we have shifted. The world has shifted. No, really, scientifically, the world has shifted more the last few years than it has in its modern history. The Lord is shifting now. And he is bringing in the warrior spirit. It's the character of God just as much as being the lover. And one works in tandem with the other. Now, let me give you a couple scriptures. I want you to see what other men and women of God saw when they saw God. Okay, I want to prove something to you, not from my own opinion or prophecy, but from the Bible. Amen? Don't you still like this big old book? Praise the Lord. Uh, I, that's why I love a bookstore here, because I can pick up Bibles when I come through and give them away. Amen. Are you guys all right? Did we get too intense? Okay. Well, it was kind of intense. Let me show you something really quick. Exodus 15.3. Now, who knows Moses was close to God? If anyone could epitomize intimacy, which is another popular word, which I I love, by the way. I think some words have been overdone. Intimate. Is anyone besides maybe a couple New Testament characters could rival Moses in intimacy? Homeboy stood in front of God. Walked with God. Heard his voice. Got the Ten Commandments. You know? Was a skater, just like this guy. (laughs) Listen to how Moses describes God in his song after leaving Egypt. Let me just give you one excerpt. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So when Moses saw God, he didn't just see this soft, lovey-dovey, you know, Lay you down and stroke your hair and whisper sweet nothings. That could have happened as well. (laughs) No argument. But when Moses saw God, he saw a warrior. Wow. He saw a warrior. Now watch this. Watch when Joshua sees God. Who likes Joshua? You with me? Joshua. Watch what he sees. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, Joshua 5, chapter 5, verse 13, Joshua looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or against us? The man replied, Neither. But as a commander of the army of the Lord have I now come. Who knows who that was? It was Jesus, Lord of the host, or Sabaoth in the Bible, is Lord of the armies of heaven. So there's no other caricature in the Bible. There's no other figure that could claim that. No Michael, no Gabriel, nobody. If he said, I am the Lord or captain of the armies of heaven, who was he? What? Now watch this. Now come on, we're almost done. So when Joshua saw Jesus, he wasn't with waving robes and flowers. Hallelujah. He didn't reek of frankincense and myrrh. There wasn't lilies of the valley poking from his ears. He didn't lay down on a rose of Sharon. How romantic. No, how puny. You ain't going to win no battle there, brother. Listen, Josh, this is what Joshua sees when he sees God. I'm just taking you to the Bible. What these intimate lovers of God saw when they got close enough. Maybe they were drawn by the frankincense. Maybe they followed the flowers. But dude, when you got close enough to God, there was no soft about him. He was a warrior. And he came to conquer. Oh, I'm getting I feel. I'm going to go watch Braveheart 20 times tonight. (laughs) Return of the King. Huh. Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord have now come. Then Joshua fell down on his face in reverence and worshiped him. What message does my Lord have for a servant? The commander of the Lord of of the armies said, Take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. So now we have Moses and Joshua. Who do they see in their most intimate moments with God? A warrior. King James says Moses saw a man of war dressed for battle. Unbelievable. He saw this guy in armor with a sword. No wonder they fell down. They didn't just fall down because it just felt good. They fell down. Oh, my God. He's about to come back like that. It's not only in the Old Testament. It's right in the book of Revelation. Now, let me show you another one. You okay? Hallelujah. Watch what David says to the Philistines. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. That struck fear in their hearts. They didn't bow down to pray. They retreated. That was the God that went before them. That's the God David knew, Joshua knew, Moses knew. Every figure in the Bible, deeply in love with God, knew when he got close enough, he was a warrior. And I'm telling you, that spirit of the warrior is coming back in the church. You see it over in Hawaii with those brothers, the Hawaiian brothers, the tribal people. Tribal people have not got the warrior spirit washed out of them as much as Anglo-Saxon people. Should I say it again? Tribal people have not. Indigenous people, that's why we need them close to us. You bring in the natives in here and play a drum, dude, you you will not feel like soaking. You will feel like warring. Hallelujah. Okay. Praise the Lord. I want to show you one example of the warrior. Could I show you? I want to read it to you. Praise God. 2 Samuel 11. Can I show you the warrior? I want to show you the description. I got a gift gift for this church I want to give it to. Because I believe tonight marks a mark in the sand that as the south shifts, as the south begins to muster its army, how can you muster an army without a warrior spirit? How can you go into battle without a warlike heart? How can you cross the River Jordan without courage and strength? How can you move forward and win the nations for the Lord if you're not ready for battle and to overcome and to be more than conquerors? You can't. So God's going to impart that. That's the, the grace that guy talked about. God would, with His grace, impart to us courage and strength. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me show you one thing out of Samuel, okay? I want to give you an image of what the warrior looks like. I want to show you Uriah, okay? I believe Uriah is a picture of the modern-day warrior. When every temptation, even good temptations, come to him to stop the battle, to retreat, to give up, it will not even darken his heart. Let me show you what the warrior looks like. Let this stay in your heart forever. This is who this church is now. It's a Uriah church. Now watch this. David sent to Joab saying... 2nd Samuel 11:5 saying send me Uriah the Hittite. See David, see David's this big time hotshot. He's the big guy. He had no idea what he was about to meet. He thought he was going to meet some homie that would just lay down and just settle for second best. You know who David met that day? A warrior. To his shame. He met a warrior. Guess what this world's about to meet? A warrior. The lovers, the intimacy, all of that's great. But boy, what comes from intimacy is war, is battle. In Jesus' most intimate moments, he went out to battle. In David's most intimate psalms, he went out to battle. Oh, Lord. Some would say, but the battle is the Lord's. Well, of course it is. But where does Jesus live? You. Let me say that again. Not really. That sounded so cool. This is just for the CD. Someone says, but the battle is the Lord. But where's the Lord live? In you. That was good. So you hear those excuses all the time. Oh, the battle's the Lord's. Leave me alone. I want to pray. But the warrior lives in you. Remember? Dressed for battle? Lord of the Sabaoth. That's also found in Romans and the book of James. So it's not as an old. Testament, picture of the Lord. He's a warrior in the old. He's the warrior in the new. What does John say on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, the last chapter of all eternity? When he returns, he's dressed for battle to judge and make war. Whether it's a rapture or not, he's coming to finish the fight. He is like Val Kilmer in Tombstone, facing Ringo. The devil's going to say this. Hey, man, the fight wasn't with you. I got no problem with you. He's going to say, no, I remember a game of blood. I remember a game of blood. I'm your huckleberry. Straight up. Jesus is coming back to finish this battle. He picked a fight. He's going to finish it. He's a warrior. And he's come to set us all free. Oh, man, I feel so hot. Not on a Seattle way. David said to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Here he comes. Here comes the warrior. Pinch hitter. Joab said to Uriah, and Joab sent Uriah to David. Watch this, verse 7, man. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing. How the people were doing. Give me an update from the battlefield. How's the war prospering? David said to Uriah, now here comes the temptation. Go down to your house and wash your feet. That's an act of of retreat. That's an act of battle ceases. Now watch this. So Uriah departed from the king's house and the gift of food from the king followed him. Verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his own house. The king just commanded you to go, rest, retreat, take it easy, man. Just lay down. Uriah went to the doorstep and slept. Let me tell you why. Wow. Uriah slept in the porch of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his own house. When, uh, when they told David this, saying, Uriah did not go down to his own house. David said to Uriah, did you not come from a long battle? Why not go down to your house and rest? Uriah said to David, here's the warrior. Uriah says to the king, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of the lord are encamped in the open field in battle. Shall I then go to my house while they're at war? This is the heart that God's about to give to his people. When all the world around you says, Man, just check out, dude, fish fry, take it easy, go home. The battle's the Lord's, so he'll take care of it. Rest. Go be with your wife, if you read the rest of the story. Go get drunk, is what the rest of the story says. Uriah says, No. As long as there's a battle, I'm a warrior and I will not relent. What a picture. And that's the face of the church in this hour. We are the Uriah, man. We're the ones that are going to say, you know what? Rapture, whatever, cool, let it come. But I'm going to the battlefield. Conference, retreat, great. I'm going to the battlefield. There's a war to be won. And you know, as I reflected on that tonight, I saw you, bro. Like I said earlier, when I, when I heard this word from the Lord about the South, I started seeing you differently. This, for the last 24 hours, I started looking at your face differently. I saw the Native American. I saw the South. I saw the suffering. I saw the trauma, the loss. And when I got this word about the warrior, and I, th- I meditated on Uriah, the great warrior who, who refused, like Daniel and Shadrach, and refused the, the, the privileges because there was a battle. I thought of you, man, and I, I saw you differently. You know, I, I'm not saying I saw Keith bad, you know, but I saw Keith. I just, you know, I'm gonna tell you how I see Keith. Kind of relaxed, kicked back, nothing phases him. Barefoot. <laughs> you know. Wow, it's really quiet in here, dude. You know, this is really. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Am I saying the right thing? <laughs> so, anyways, you know, and I love the Hawaiian shirts. You, you all the vineyard pastors I almost get tricked when I come in here I think it's a vineyard church. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you how I view him. It's not negative cuz all the vineyard pastors in California wear Hawaiian shirts. Just John Wimber and so I kind of when I come in here the music's really free flowing like vineyard and anyway. So I get this image of a kickback. You even have a coffee shop. Every vineyard's had a coffee shop for 20 years. So you guys are really get Anyways. So <laughs> I mean, grow a beard, gray hair, John Wimber right there, right there. You know, so anyway, that's the image I got, You know, really kicked back, relaxed, uh, but, but on fire, intimate, love, Jesus, all the, all the right stuff. But when I began to meditate on this word, knowing that prophecy lends itself greatly to proximity, that I was coming to Jessup, Georgia, to the worship arts church, I knew that the, and all of this revelation about the warrior and the south and the mustering of a great army again, the volunteers going out to war again, missionaries going out to battle. And I thought, I said, I'm here, I'm right here. I'm not over there, I'm not over, I'm here. And I saw you different. The moment I gathered this information, I saw Keith different. I saw him like a Napoleon. That's what I saw. Like the pictures of Napoleon Bonaparte, the, the, the great crusader, the great conqueror. I saw a picture of Keith. He had different, like those jackets, those French jackets with the bars. And I just saw his whole he even had I'm saying what I saw. I'm not saying he has to do this. I'm saying in the spirit, he had a little mustache. Hey man, give me a break. And uh, he had a long ponytail. No, he didn't. No, he really didn't. No tattoos either. <laughs> Farrell did, though. No, <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs right there in his shoulder. Boy, <laughs> is that the word of the Lord? No, I doubt it. No, <laughs> you can question the prophetic now. <laughs> But uh, I saw him different, man. I saw him, I I, I saw the South different. I saw the face of the Southern people different. I saw Keith different. I saw him as a mighty general. And I've seen generals, man. Uh, I've got to walk with generals in my life. I've had that privilege from whether it was a Ravenhill to an Arthur Blessed to uh, uh, Tommy Tenney. God has shown me these generals and... Uh, I just met one named Phil Aguilar. Look up Set Free Ministries. Don't Google him, however. (laughs) Don't do that, because you'll find a lot of other stuff. Every warrior's got battles, dude. They just had the biggest drug bust in Orange County's history. Guess who was in the center of it? Phil Aguilar doesn't do one drug, though. Some of the folks in one of his houses, they they got out of the prison to help. Anyways, God exonerated them, wiped them clean. Guys, oh, will you stand next to Phil? Heart of gold, lover, lover, love, intimate, kiss you on the cheek. But, dude, a warrior, bro. A warrior. He seems to have a, just a perfect balance of the lover the lover, and the warrior. But I'm telling you, that's what I saw in, in Pastor Keith. And I see God transforming him. Not necessarily changing him from what he is. None at all. He could wear those shirts to the, to the end of earth. I, he could wear some affliction shirts, too. Would he just look really cool in this shirt? I think he would just look bad to the bone. But anyways, that's just my perception. But you know what? I see a general. I see a William Booth. If there's anyone out of the, the, the landscape of Christianity that I could pinpoint his character, it's a William Booth of the Salvation Army, a William and Catherine Booth. They, If you read their story, I've got their book called Blood and Fire. I'll bring it next time, unless you beat me to the punch. But that's who they are. They're, they were a worshiping church. In their time and age, the Salvation Army was revolutionary. Drums. <laughs> they were doing things in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a really astute religious England. Uh, unbelievable. They were spit on. When William Booth came off the streets, this, this really affluent man, he was coming from a business meeting, walking over drunks, and God struck him. And that's where you get the quote, as long as he's a drunk man, as long as he's a prostitute, as long, I will fight, I will fight to the bitter end. That's where you get that quote. And the Lord, he, he'd come in off the streets, and they'd try to wipe the spit from people spitting on him, and he'd say, "No, those are my medals." He was a great warrior; they called him the general. He didn't never like that word, though, but they called him the general, General Booth. That's what I see. I see a warrior, and I believe as the shift begins to happen in the South, that inevitably this church is going to follow suit, and I believe that uh, that this church is really I think you're in the I think you're in the front hundred. I think this church is in the front hundred of a forerunner church that's already pioneered so many things. Now you're going to pioneer the the now you're going to pioneer something more. I don't think it's even pioneering no more. It's more like becoming uh uh, uh uh reflecting, just visibly showing it rather than trying to work it up. It's just doing it. And it's the warrior. It's the lover warrior. It's the, the warrior stays up late, the warrior is the prayer warrior. You think of all those connotations. The warrior, the warrior, the warrior, the warrior. I believe you're going to epitomize this in this church. I believe that I believe that there's a whole dress change in the spirit. It's almost like David up in his chambers. Just think of this and I'll I'm through. I'm going to give a gift to you. Imagine David in his upper chambers. Just think of it. Forget about all the concubines. Don't think of it. Just think David in his chambers. I'm trying to make you laugh. Come on. Ha ha. ha. Father, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Help this group. You know what I thought that bucket was in the front with the offering? I thought that was your water. I really did. I thought, I really went over there to get some water. <laughs> but, oh, it's money. Praise God. I did <laughs> grab ten bucks for the dinner tonight. No, I didn't. But <laughs> a few years ago, I probably would. But um, <laughs> that is a temptation. <laughs> oh, you know what I am saying. Anyways, what was I saying the last... What? Oh, yes, yes, David from his chamber in his long robes being intimate with God. You can imagine David on his harp. Woo, Jesus, you know, you know, you can imagine it. David was very like that, you know, harp. But when, G- when David walked down those steps and went into battle, everything changed. Did that mean he was not the man up in the chamber? No, but he came down those steps. His servants got his armor. They fitted him tightly. Men like Jonathan got next to him. Mighty warriors. Bible says Jonathan killed more people than David. And they went to battle, man. And I see this church about to be transformed from the upper room into a warrior. Big time. And you are only a forerunner to a massive move of God in the south as he musters an army again for a great civil unrest in the world between light and darkness. Probably the greatest civil war we've ever seen on the earth. Rick Joyner prophesied it. It's been nothing new. It's the greatest cataclysmic moment in humankind. It's here. And churches like this are going to blaze the trail of the warrior spirit. I believe many people are going to come out of prayer and intimate moments of the Lord. You know what they're going to see? Pastor, I saw a man dressed in battle. I saw a warrior. Amen. Hey, brother, bring it up to me. I've had this sword for a long time. Some say it's a Knights Templar. I say it's a Knights of Malta. Either way, uh, we're not Masons. <laughs> we're Jesus freaks. But the Knights Templar and the Knights of Malta, which, by the way, Rick Joyner was an honorary member of the Knights of Malta. Uh, not political. It's Knights of Malta. The, 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 his meaning behind it was they faced on the island of Malta, they faced the onslaught of the Muslim armies and really the origins of all those knights before they became political like Christians in Rome, and became Catholics, they were warriors. So I ordered this a long time. It's an exact replica of a, of a ceremonial sword of the Knights Templar, the Knights of Malta. And there's the Maltese cross, and there's a the head of the knight on the top. It's real. There's a uh, eagle on the sheath. But the Lord's told me to, uh, and it says, oh, excuse me. Knights of St. John. Very powerful. Just get past all your politics and go back to the origins of those guys. Before they became religious and political. So the Lord says, take this sword today and give it to this church because they're about to, what's amazing is the the knights back then of St. John even gave us our own crest, the eagle with the feather with the olive branch right there or the arrows, excuse me. But, uh, The Lord says, give it to this church in in an act of faith and a prophetic act that uh, they're going to become God's knights. That This church is is going through a metamorphosis. They're coming from the upper chamber with their robes of worship and harps, and they're they're coming into a great battle, and they're going to lead the way. Not their own personal battle, necessarily, but the battle for the world, the battle for the city, the battle for the states of the union, and that uh, God has given you a sword in the Spirit. The Knights of St. John. Hallelujah. Never kissed a man in my life till just then. This is a groundbreaking moment, brother. I'm telling you. This is a groundbreaking moment. Don't tell any of my friends in prison that I did that. Not one. Not one. Strike this from the seat. Well, this is awesome, man. So be encouraged. And tomorrow we're going to get to act like warriors. I think maybe we should rendezvous here around noon if anyone's interested. And we'll go out. And uh, why don't you come up here for a minute, bro? Yeah, bring your sign up. Just for a few seconds while he's up here with the sword. This guy, I met him at uh, Neil Bush's church, who I really thought was going to be here. Neil's a cool dude. And he needs you. You're You're about to muster these churches up too that have been shipwrecked and battered and beaten like you already have but this guy I'm gonna let him say it in a few words himself but when I met this homeboy man they they were just like us all we were just Christians and you know doing our thing and a warrior emerged so I want him to tell his story how this happened
1: my wife Roxana, who's um in uh, Hazel, in, uh What's the town? What's the next town? Highsville. I dropped her off in Hinesville at a conference there, and I came on here. Uh, the way this the way this came about was um, Roxanne and I were living in Bluffton, South Carolina, and uh, we would go to the beach every every weekend and just look for people to pray for. And the Lord spoke to me to make a sign that said, need prayer, sit here. And we, we sat in these little low beach chairs, and I was going to get another chair. And I just didn't have the boldness. And then I met Chad, and I read his book of the harvest, and I was compelled. And the Lord reminded me of the sign. So I thought, Roxana, what can we do? And, and this book tells about there's so many people that are unreached, so many homeless people, so many poor people that nobody wants to reach out to. And I, and I, I just thought about, it. let's go down to the park and let's make a sign. And, she, and my wife's from Washington, D.C. She said, you'll get arrested. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm from the South. You will not get arrested. <laughs> so we... We went, down, we went down to the park, went down to Wright Square, which is on Bull Street. And I made my sign. She said, you can't sit it on the sidewalk. If somebody will trip over, you'll get sued. And I go, listen, go over there. Go sit on the other side of the park. So she went over to the other side of the park and sat. And I sat down, just kind of sat there and waited and waited and waited. Pretty soon somebody sat down. So I prayed for him. She's looking over. After a while, she's back over on my side of the park. <laughs> so anyhow, last summer we prayed for 300-something people. We had 14 salvations in the park. We had, we had two people filled with the Spirit in the park. Jesus. We have a picture of a guy, a young guy. It was, it was already dark. I don't know why we stayed so late. It was the latest we'd ever stayed. This is on a Saturday night. This guy came up, and he said, he said I'm stuck here. Um, he said, I grew up in the church. I fell away. He said, um, uh, I don't have any money. I've been awake for three days. I'm afraid to sleep. Uh, somebody stole my money, I'm afraid. So we sat him down, and we prayed for him. He received the baptism, and I stepped back and snapped the picture. I wish I had it. There was a glow. A, a bright white light on his chest in the picture. The next day I looked at the picture I said, oh my God, Roxanna, look at this. So we've sent it to everybody. A bright light on his chest, and he had no jewelry on. He had on a black shirt with nothing on it. And when I snapped that picture, a bright light was on his chest. So all it takes is a person, a bench, and a sign. You just, you just sit down, and they come to you. I don't get in anybody's face. They come to me. So,
0: so watch this. He got, uh, got trouble in the prayer. Sit here and see how, the air, see how this thing points, the little fishy. And then he has this. Where do you have this over a chair? <laughs> She's from D.C., you know. That's, they got no trouble there. <laughs> <laughs> got ran out of the mall. Now, how old are you? 62 years old. Retired? Still working. Still working, 62 years old. God says, go out. A painter. Dude, he worked today. And finds a time to go out and bring Jesus. And by the way, tomorrow, he's going with us. We're going to go down to Wright Square in Savannah, Georgia. We're going to have him sit at the sign. We'd like what we'd like to do is uh, he's got something more. Please tell us. But what we're going to do is we're going to cycle people with him. What we'll do? Let's say we have twenty people. I hope we have more. There's a Starbucks in Savannah. What, what other incentive do you need? I mean, <laughs> Jesus, Hallelujah! So real close. Oh boy, we doing it at six AM? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll cycle people through. Some groups can go with me. Got my friend from Ohio and his uncle's here. They've been out with me before. We can some can go with me out in the streets. And by the way, I don't have any soapbox. I don't have any tracks. We'll just go out and meet people. Have coffee. You know, we'll brush up against people, prophesy whatever happens. Then we'll cycle some of the team, like some of the youth, can be with him, like two or three, four, and can just watch. Maybe a couple could sit with him. He might even prompt you, hey man, as the guy sits there to pray, he'll ask you as the Lord leads him, Hey man, hunter, pray for him. Yeah, Jesus. And he's going to get you initiated into this stuff. You might not ever bring out a sign, okay? But you'll, in your own way, you can reach the world. We, we have to be a witness. You know what the witness means in the Greek? A martyr. The Holy Ghost comes upon you that you receive power to be my martyrs. Wow. Another person pointed out recently the narrow road, broad, narrow. Narrow means suffering. Take the road of suffering, not the broad and easy road. Wow. That's the warrior. You love what he said? Washington, D.C., you're going to get arrested, but I don't do that. I'm a southern boy. Who cares? You know, hey, I'll preach in the county jail. You know? That's, that's a warrior's spirit. It's in you, man. You don't care. You play chicken on tractors. I mean, you don't care. I mean, you, you guys are loony. Woohoo, yee-haw! I mean, you're the Duke's of hazard. Come on. You don't care about cops or anything. But now you get the Holy Ghost and you just jump over things and, and come on, tell me, bro.
1: What's the most addictive drug there is? Crack cocaine, maybe? This is worse. Come I swear if you get one soul, you're addicted, you're hooked. I warn you. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. If you do this, you will be hooked for the rest of your life.